This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Take talk with you anywhere with the all-new Talk 1370 app. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more. Search for Talk 1370 in the App Store or find the links at Talk1370.com. It's anywhere I need. Talk 1370, the right choice. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I tell you, Hurricane Harvey is like that uncle that comes over for a family function and doesn't want to leave. But when he does leave, he destroys everything. On a lighter note, Hurricane Harvey should run for mayor of Austin because he finally got the cars moving on Interstate 35. For the first weekend ever, there isn't any traffic in Austin. So Hurricane Harvey should be a write-in candidate. On a serious note, our thoughts and prayers go out to all those in our viewing area that are affected by the storm. Today, we have on the phone Jerry Patterson, the former Texas Land Commissioner and the father of what was called the Texas Concealed Handgun Law. Also, we have on the phone Principal Attorney Edwin Walker from Texas and U.S. Law Shield. He's on the ground in Houston, Texas. We're going to find out what's going on there. Also, we're going to talk about legislative updates. Going to talk to you today about, well, you know, can I shoot someone or can I use deadly force against someone who is stealing property from where my home used to be? Also, we're going to talk about uh, can I use deadly force against someone who's vandalizing a statue? That seems to be the the biggest talk of the town this past week about whether or not someone can use uh, force or deadly force against someone who is vandalizing one of our statues here in the state of Texas. So we're going to talk about that with Edwin Walker and also with Jerry Patterson, the former Texas Land Commissioner. So let me bring into the conversation Edwin Walker, Principal Attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin, welcome to come and talk to you, sir. Howdy, Mike. How are you doing? Outstanding. I know you're, you're kind of in the thick of things. Is the house okay? Yeah, yeah, we're doing okay. Um, but there's a lot of places in Houston that, that uh, it's, it, it really is unprecedented. And having lived through, yeah, I've lived in this county all my life, and seen a lot of floods, of course, you know, Hurricane Ike, uh, Tropical Storm Alicia, the Great Flood in 1979. Um, but there are areas that are flooding now that have never flooded before. In fact, I just saw a stat on the news. Um, yeah, I don't know how accurate it is, but it sounds pretty accurate. 
they said in the last 24 hours, Harris County, and we're talking just Harris County, has received an average of 13.75 inches of rain, which calculates out to 419 billion gallons of water. Ooh, good Lord. That is insane. Wow, this yeah. is going to be one of the the worst floods in Texas history for sure. And it's just the beginning because this is going to go on until like at least until Wednesday and Thursday. Yes. Uh, every major freeway in Harris County is uh, completely blocked in some areas. Like every major freeway has an impassable blockage on it right now. Wow. I, I, my hat's off to you. Uh, my hat's off to the people that are down in Houston. Um you know, definitely stay safe. Uh, don't drown. Go around. Stay where you are. According to the uh, police chief, Arastavedo, of the Houston Police Department, he's saying, look, do not go out into the streets down there in Houston. Stay where you are. Stay, you know, um, and, and whatever you do, if you do go into your attic, make sure that you have an out. You have an axe or something where you can, you know, get your way out of the attic. If you don't, do not go in the attic because once you get up there, there's no way down unless you're going to get through that, you know, break through the roof of the home. Yeah, they were advising people this morning to just skip the attic altogether and go straight to your rooftop. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, I know that water is getting up there, and it's, it's, it's going high, and it's going fast. All right, so, Edwin, um, uh, there's this talk going around about, you know, can I use deadly force against someone who is vandalizing one of our statues here in the state of Texas? That seems to be the big talk. It, it was apparently— uh, someone, so he said at the time, was a police trainer or something to that effect uh, that with a particular police department or something like that. And he's saying that, hey, you know, he gave the the rundown of what the Texas law was. Uh, he pretty much just posted it, you know, for verbatim there and then said, hey, you know, basically, yes, you can shoot someone or you can use deadly force against someone who's vandalizing the statue. But what's your take on that? Well, I think that he was being a little glib, and it is kind of uh, amazing what social media can do because apparently he just wrote it in a Facebook post. Um, it was picked up by a blog, which was subsequently picked up by other blogs and then shared, and uh, it went viral uh, in a really, really short time. And, of course, we were then bombarded with this question about whether or not you can do this, and, you know, the answer is – Probably not. You know, I would certainly wouldn't do it. And the reason is, is because uh, the, the, the original post said, look, here's the crime of criminal mischief. So vandalizing the statue is, yes, that is an act of criminal mischief. And then he posted the, the statue with the statute with regard to now it's going to get confusing because I'm not talking about statutes and statues. Uh, so he posted the statute <laughs> uh, that said that you can use deadly force in defense of property, which. There is, a, of course, we all know there is a statute that says that, and thankfully it does. You know, Texas is one of the few states that does give an individual the right to use deadly force in defense of property. Most states do not. In fact, most states don't even give you the right to use deadly force in defense of your own property, much less the property of a third party. So what you're dealing with is, is that he posted the statute and said, hey, looks like you can use deadly force in defense of a third party's property in an act of criminal mischief, which – you know that technically that is what it says. However, he left out some very, very important uh, legal analysis. And the legal analysis is is that uh, it's only criminal mischief at nighttime where you can use deadly force at all. 
So, you know, so criminal mischief during the daytime cannot use cannot use deadly force at all, period. Even criminal mischief against your own property can't use deadly force. You can use force, but not deadly force during the daytime. Uh, second of all, he forgot to analyze the, the, the proper steps that you have to take in defending a third party's property. Then he didn't even talk address the issue about whether or not public property is a third party property. You know, is that the type of third-party property that was contemplated by the statute? Is the defense of public property? You know, is there the ability to protect public property? And then thirdly, he left out the most important thing of all, and that is that any defense of property, even your property, it has to be reasonable. Um, you cannot, you know, there is no legal presumptions like there is with defending yourself or defending a third party from a from a personal injury, from a personal crime like sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, robbery, aggravated robbery, uh, murder. So there's no presumption there. And so everything is, is uh, comes down to reasonable. It says that you can use deadly force uh, if you reasonably believe that it's the, you know, the, the, the subject of a crime, criminal mischief included, at criminal mischief at night included, uh, if the property cannot be protected through any other reasonable means or do they have a reasonable belief that it cannot be protected through any other means and that's the key is that you know i guarantee there would be a prosecutor out there that said number one there's no duty to protect the, the state's property there's no duty to protect public property and number two could this property have been protected through any other means and they're going to argue that look it's, it's an act of vandalism if you observe it get a person's description maybe yell out to them, hey, stop doing that, I'm calling the police. Uh, but they're going to argue that shooting them on sight uh, was not protecting the property uh, through the most reasonable means available. And so I want you to go back a little bit, Edwin, and talk about first, uh, you know, trespassing, you know, just simple trespassing, because a lot of people forget about that, because I, I get questions all the time about, you know, well, can I shoot someone for just trespassing on my property outside? They're not in the house. They're not. It's not burglary. They're in the yard or they're, you know, just standing in front of the statue. Right. And that's a great and that's a great point, Mike, uh, because Texas law is extremely clear that you cannot use deadly force against a trespasser. I mean, that's that's one thing that I can tell you is black and white. You cannot use a deadly force against a trespasser, either a trespasser at night or a trespasser during the day. Texas law does not authorize deadly force against a trespasser. So even on your own property, if somebody comes up and they want to come into your backyard and they're just sitting there and they say, hey, you got a really nice backyard, think I'm going to hang out here for a while, cannot use deadly force against them. You can use force um, and you can call the police on them and you report them as a criminal trespasser. Uh, you cannot use deadly force. Now, once they take an active step that gives you a reasonable belief that they're doing something more than trespassing, if they decide to try to enter your house, uh, now they're a home invader. You get the presumption of use of deadly force. If they enter one of your outer buildings, it's not a home invasion, but it is a burglary. So bur you, you are allowed to use deadly force against a burglar um, if it is uh, you know, if it is reasonable, it does fall back to the reasonable since it's a burglary and not a home invasion. And then you got to tell, uh, or, you got to explain to people what is burglary because uh, yeah, burglary is basically uh, the unlawful entering of a uh, of an unoccupied property 
for the purposes of either committing a theft or another type of felony. So somebody goes into your outbuilding. Um, it is a burglary because it is a building, but it is not a home invasion because your outbuilding is not occupied. Now, if they come into your home while you're in it, not a burglary, that's a home invasion, and that's where you could use deadly force and be given the presumption that your deadly force was reasonable. So, um, so you have to be very, very careful. Uh, now, obviously, nobody would just enter your property just to trespass. Uh, so odds are that they probably are up to no good, and they probably do intend on committing some other crime. But you have to wait until the circumstances would give you a reasonable belief that they were intending to commit that crime that made them more than just a mere trespasser, that made them a burglar, a home invader. And also keep in mind that, that these circumstances can change in a second. So let's say that you do go out and you find some guy sitting in your lawn chair, sitting by your pool, saying, hey, you got a nice pool, I think I'm going to enjoy it. And you go, this is my backyard, you're a trespasser. And then he goes, well, what are you going to do about it? And then he gets up and takes a swing at you. Now, not a trespasser. Now he's committing assault, possibly an aggravated assault, possibly a murder. Mm. So just keep in mind that those can change. Because a lot of times when we get those hypotheticals, uh, the people who are asking them are not just content to rely on the initial premise of the hypothetical. Uh, for example, I had one, one guy basically ask me that same thing. Uh, it was a real-life example. A woman had come home, found a guy on her front porch, and he was sleeping. And he said, can she use deadly force against a trespasser sleeping on her front porch? And I was like, well, he was sleeping, not doing anything else? Yeah. I said, well, no, nope, can't use deadly force. You're telling me that if she goes up and he attacks her that she can't use deadly force? I'm like, whoa, 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 you just changed the most important element of that hypothetical. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. The minute he tries to attack her, he's not a trespasser anymore. He is somebody attempting to commit a serious personal felony where she could use deadly force. So you know, when people ask these questions, you have to watch that they don't change the circumstances, which is exactly what a lot of people uh, who responded favorably to this man's post about defending the statue with deadly force kept doing. Right. They're like, well, if I go, if I see somebody being on a statue and I go up to them and they attack me, then I can use deadly force. That's well, something yeah, totally different. They attack, <laughs> that's right. If they attack you. But if they're just like, hey, I'm a member of Antifa and I'm here to spray paint this statue, but I'm not going to hurt anybody. Um, you know, then you could not use deadly force against that. The joke I like to make is, you know, I'm running along in my neighborhood there during the daytime. It's like 8 o'clock in the morning, sun's out, and I see, oh, man, one of my neighbors, they have a new pool. I didn't even know they had a pool. Well, you know what? I'm, I, I want to go in the backyard. I'm going to jump in the pool and swim a couple laps. They can use force, but not daily force. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Texas weather can change on a dime. Flash flooding is expected to begin shortly. When the weather turns severe, turn to us for what you need to know. On air and online at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hey, Austin, wake up and fly right on Talk 1370.
welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, today we're talking about Texas gun laws. We're talking about the legislative updates of what happened in the 2017 Texas legislature. Also, we're talking about can I use deadly force if someone is stealing my property where my house used to be? Also, can I use deadly force against someone vandalizing a statue during the storm? Well, you know, sometimes you got to think and ask yourself, you know, even if, you know, just think about it for a second. Man, should I really do that? How's the jury going to look at that? You know, but, you know, Edwin just gave us a great explanation of what the actual law is. But let me bring into the conversation um, our former Texas Land Commissioner, Jerry Patterson. Jerry, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, thanks, Michael. Uh, glad to join you all. Outstanding. And, and Jerry is what I call the father of the Texas Concealed Handgun Law. Uh, so back in 1995, he was very instrumental in getting the Concealed Handgun Law passed here in the state of Texas. You know, so let me ask uh, Mr. Patterson, you know, hey, well, you know, can I just walk out there? Someone's vandalizing uh, one of the statues I love here in the state of Texas. And you know what? I just want to use daily force to stop him. Can I really do it? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you know, if you do, you're probably going to encounter a major lifestyle change uh, for quite some time. And you're going to be uh, spending a lot of money. Um uh, and it's going to uh, change your life substantially. So, no, you can't. Uh, and, it's, and, and furthermore, no matter how, what your passion, how, how, you know, how much passion you have about the statue and whatever, whatever viewpoint it is, do you really want to kill somebody uh, over something like that? And it just doesn't make sense. Um, so, no, you can't do it. And uh, whoever got this thing started, uh, well, matter of fact, I think he's no longer employed as a uh, police officer is what I understand. Yeah, it's, it's it's a bad bad thing to tell people and give people the impression of you never should push people in that direction of even using force or daily force. Uh, that should be your very, you know, should be the very last thing that you do. There are other options out there, which is what we teach people in the, the license to carry handgun course. You know, you, you got to use conflict resolution. There are a lot of things that you can do. Call law enforcement. Let law enforcement handle those situations if you're incapable of handling them by using conflict resolution. And then also there are other things that you can do as well. So definitely, Deadly Force, that is your very last option. And even, you know, one of the things I like to, you know, example I like to use in class is, you know, uh, do you really want to be that neighbor who shoots the neighborhood kid for toilet paping your home at night? You know, because you'll have to move. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then you got to worry about the jury because you're definitely going to go to jail. Yeah, you're 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 not going to be no build uh, if you shoot a kid that's toilet paper in your house, and then not only uh, you're going to have a trial that's going to cost you a lot of money, then you're going to have a civil liability, uh, you know, possible lawsuit on your hands, and bottom line, you're going to be broke, and you're going to be living somewhere else, and just hope uh, that you're not that somewhere else doesn't involve. Uh, steel bars uh, as a major decoration in your new surroundings. Right, and, and you're getting this information from people who love uh, the Second Amendment, who fight for the Second Amendment here in the state of Texas. So we're not bashing anyone. We're, you know, we're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that. We're just letting you know out there, hey, this is what it is. If you put yourself in that situation and you do that, that 15 seconds, that 7 seconds, that 5 seconds, that will change your life forever. Definitely change your life forever. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the history is full of uh, urban myths. I mean, it used to be that, uh, well, you know, if somebody's breaking into your house and you shoot them and kill them, be sure and drag them in so they're in the house. That was another one from many years ago. 
Uh, I mean, it's just urban myths. And you, when somebody tells you something that doesn't sound right, just ask them, okay, can I count on you to be my attorney in uh, in the courthouse when I do, as you suggest? And, of course, first of all, they're not qualified to be an attorney. Then follow up. Can I count on you to help me fund my attorney? Can you give, will you, are you confident about this enough that you'll put uh, $10,000 on, uh, down on the table so I can get a good attorney? Yeah, because depending on what county that you're in and depending on how bad the situation is, you're looking at twenty grand. you are going to go to jail. You have to bail yourself out of jail. You're going to have to, you know, said, yeah. like depending on how bad it is, you may have to get an ankle monitor as a condition of bond to get released from jail. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, you read the statute. Penal code, uh, you know, Section 9 has to do with force and, and deadly force. And, of course, okay, you read that. Well, then you also have to take a look at case law. You have to take a look at what the you know case law determined that person is. I mean, you'll notice in there it says that you can defend uh, under certain circumstances. You can use force or deadly force to protect your property or the property of another person. Well, what is a person? If you're deciding you're going to defend a statue, is that qualifies person? The property belongs to the government. I mean, so there's all kinds of things in there that just make it a bizarre thing to say, particularly by someone who claimed to be a, police, a, a peace officer, and I think also claimed to be a, a, a DHL and C instructor. So uh, it, it, the answer again is no. Don't yeah. be stupid. Yeah, you're, you're talking about taking someone's life. You're, that's very serious. And that 15 yeah. seconds, 10 seconds, 7 seconds will change your life forever. And I cannot stress that enough. Now, I do have a question for Edwin, uh, the principal attorney with, with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin, someone says, uh, with phone down, how do you report the situation after you have to defend your property? And what if severe flooding washes away the crime scene? Well, you know, everybody's got uh, cell phones now that have cameras with them. Um, you know, we, there's never been a time in society... Uh, more people have the ability to document with both uh, pictures and video a something that happens. And so you just try to uh, gather as much evidence as you can with regard to, uh, you know, with regard to the scene, uh, preserve it. Um, hopefully it will all be exculpatory and not inculpatory. And, um, uh, you know, preserve it with 911. Uh, I don't know, you know, that... Like I said, here in Houston, it is an unprecedented event, and there are reports that the 911 systems are jammed, they're flooded, people aren't getting through, and so I guess it's foreseeable that that could happen, uh, but it would take a really bad, really set of circumstances for that to happen. Um, if this, you know, if something were to happen and, and the 911 calls are jammed, uh, you'll put the number of your local police department uh, in the phone because. You know, apparently people can get through on the on the non-emergency line, so it would call them. But it's de definitely very, very important that if you are in a situation that you did use force or deadly force, uh, that you are the one to call 911. And the reason you're calling 911 is not to report, hey, I just shot somebody or I just had to use my gun. Uh, you're calling for report, somebody was breaking my house, somebody was trying to steal my car, somebody was trying to... Uh, you know, murder me, that you're calling to report the crime that was being committed against you, not specifically that you defended yourself with force or deadly force, but you put, you know, you make 911 and the police aware that you are the victim and you are the victim of this particular crime executed by this particular individual. So right. that's the important part, that you set that, that you put that 
uh, you know, that you, you, you start all the conversations with that, that this is what happened to me. And then, of course, it will come out how you responded, but you want the focus to always be on the other person, what they did to you, not what you eventually did to them. Yeah, and the first thing I do whenever anything happens, I grab that phone, dial 911. I want to contact the police and get law enforcement involved and let them handle that situation. The very last thing I want to do is take someone's life. You know, unless someone's trying to kill me, then that's or someone else, you know, that's something totally different. But when it comes, you know, anything else, I'm I'm calling 911. I'm calling the police, let them handle it. All right, let yeah, me go and, let me go to go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, Evan. Well, then I know that one of the topics you were going to talk about is defending your property. And, of course, that's the great moral conundrum that, uh, that everybody's in. Like I said, I think it's fantastic that Texas law does give individuals the right to protect their property and the property even of other people with deadly force. Uh, but like I said, there's no, presum- there's no legal presumptions like there is in defense of yourself, and it all comes down to reasonable. It can- and reasonableness is defined as what an ordinary and prudent person would do under the same or similar circumstances. And we all think that we're reasonable, so we all, you know, we all think that we are the reasonable person. But there is there's a lot of difference of opinion out there. There are some people who are adamant that it is morally wrong to use deadly force in defense of property alone. And then there's other people that say, no, if you're still, you know, a, a thief is basically the most, you know, one of the most depraved individuals that that's out there. And you should be able to defend your property because today he's still in your property and the next minute he's trying to kill you. So, so with regard to defensive property, there is a much broader spectrum on whether or not the use of deadly force is reasonable than there is with, the, uh, the protection of, uh, of a person against a murder or sexual assault. Hey, Edwin, it's Zach History here in the studio. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Hey, I uh, on this topic of not using deadly force, going back to what you said earlier, if you have a trespasser, you are not authorized to use deadly force, but you are authorized to use force. What are some examples Correct. of using force? Can I go up to the guy, slap him around a little bit, put him in a headlock? Well, yeah, you, force is def- basically deadly force. It's kind of strange in that Texas law specifically defines deadly force. That is force that is foreseeable or intended to cause death or serious bodily injury. And then there's serious bodily injuries defined as uh, injury that impairs a major life function. And so, you know, we kind of know statutorily what deadly force is. And, of course, force is anything less than that. So anything so, that doesn't kill them or seriously injure them. Correct, is force. And one interesting point of Texas law that a lot of people don't understand. In fact, uh, I think prosecutors are actually trained not to understand this point of law because I can tell you every time I've brought it up to a prosecutor, they look at me like a dog watches TV. You know, they kind of <laughs> look with this furrowing the brow and tilting their head like they don't understand. And that is Texas Penal Code Section 9.04 that specifically states that the production of a weapon, uh, if the production of that weapon is uh, done for purposes that you, will, that you will use deadly force if necessary, is specifically recognized as a use of force, not deadly force. And so uh, police and prosecutors believe the production of a weapon is always a use of deadly force because they like to prosecute the aggravated assault statute, which the aggravated assault statute does say that. The aggravated assault statute says that the exhibition of a weapon during an assault is an aggravated assault. However, 9.04 says that 
uh, basically it's a de-escalation statute uh, so that if you go outside and you're like, look, that trespasser looks kind of sketchy, and right now he's just swimming in my pool, but <laughs> I'm afraid that he's going to get up out of it and try to try to murder me or rape me, so I'm going to take my gun with me, and I may even point it at him. Um, I think that that's the type of circumstance that 9.04 was written for, was that, uh, you know, like I said, it's a de-escalation, saying, look, I don't want to use deadly force, but I will if it's necessary. So, you know, we're just going to stay here. We're going to wait for the police because you are a criminal. You have committed a criminal trespass. Um, but if the criminal trespasser is, if he knows the law and he goes, I'm out of here, and he starts running uh, away from you and jumps your fence, uh, you cannot then shoot him. Um, that would be the that would be the wrong thing to do. However, if he turns on you and says, oh, you just picked the wrong criminal trespasser to mess with, and now you're going to meet your maker, uh, then you could use deadly force, and that's what the production of the weapon is for. All right, and then we got some breaking news uh, for the Austin viewing area. And you can go to my producer, Casey. Hey, Mike. Uh, just uh, recapping what we had at the top of the hour, and this is changing a little bit because the National Hurricane Center put out their latest advisory at 4, and then now the National Weather Service is kind of revising the forecast. The good news here in the immediate Austin area, the forecast for kind of the next couple of days is 3 to 6 inches of additional rain, as opposed to the 4 to 8 that they had been calling for. So slowly, those totals are coming down. Um, just saw a, a LCRA rain gauge total from Smithville, 20 inches. That's confirmed on the ground that's fallen there in Bastrop County. Uh, checking in with power outages, Austin Energy has just put out a statement. They've got crews working 24-7 to restore some of these power outages, mostly caused by wind and everything else that's been going on. 14,800 customers without power right now, 424 outages spread all over the city. Encore, which serves Round Rock, Georgetown, Hutto, they've got 2,500 customers without power. And Blue Bonnet Electric, uh, some of the hardest hit areas in Bastrop and Caldwell County, 600 outages there. Uh, one of the other interesting stories going on, Austin Bergstrom, a lot of cancellations on air, on uh, flights right now because the two Houston airports are closed. Hobby and Bush Intercontinental both are flooded out, essentially. You can't get into either airport right now because of floodwaters, and so the entire city of Houston is just shut down to commercial air traffic. Low water crossings, ATX floods is reporting 563 low water crossings closed right now. Uh, that number is continuing to fluctuate. And then the schools, too. On Monday, we've got at least four districts that are canceling classes, Del Valle, Maynard, Bastrop, and Elgin. The Austin, uh, rest of the Austin area districts, we're going to have a conference call around 4 p.m. We haven't heard the result of that yet, although we did just get a note that Lake Travis now is going to join the list of two-hour delays uh, along with Pflugerville and Hutto. So if I had to speculate, again, the only ones confirmed, Pflugerville, Hutto, and Lake Travis, if I had to speculate, probably a lot of the other Austin area districts will go on a two-hour delay as well. And one other bit of news in from the National Weather Service, the tropical storm warning that had been in effect for Bastrop and Hayes, uh, that has been canceled. So another sign that Harvey is finally starting to move off a little towards the east. But again, we've got all this information that as it comes into us, we're putting it on talk1370.com. So take a look there. All right. Thank you, Casey. I tell you, you know, someone told me earlier in the week that you know, they, they just moved to uh, to Austin from Houston. They said, you know, if anything happens here in Austin, they're going to evacuate to Houston. I said, whoa, hold on there, partner. I said, we from Austin do not evacuate to Houston. Houston, they evacuate to Austin. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
This is State Representative Jonathan Stickland, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Well, let me go back to uh, the father of the concealed handgun license law, uh, Jerry Patterson. So, Jerry, what's your take on, on all this uh, this weather out here? Are you being safe yourself? Well, yeah, it reminds me of Johnny Cash song, Hell High the Water, Mama. <laughs> and, uh, I live, you know, I've, I'm born and raised in Houston. I've lived up here in Austin for about 20 years. But uh, it is, uh, it's the worst Houston's ever been. I mean, I was there in Carla. I remember when the service station next door picked up and slammed into our house. And, uh, you know, all the, I've been through a lot of hurricanes. And uh, this one had wind, not to Houston, though. It had wind down at Rockport. And it's got rain. And I was just looking at the weather underground here. And Houston is slated to have rain through Thursday mm-hmm. uh, without uh, any mitigate, without any lessening of the amount and volumes of rain. So it's probably, it's going to be a big deal down there. It already is. Yeah, because I'm seeing video on Facebook, uh, people, you know, that are, they're doing like Facebook Live and stuff like that. And they're showing us, you know, today is Sunday. And I was like, man, uh, we got Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday to worry about also. This yeah, is just the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Not even halfway through. Uh, so, so Jerry, what what are your plans? On, uh, are you going to run for office this year? Oh, I don't think so. Um, uh, I kind of got that out of my system. And frankly, uh, I don't know that I um, could win. Uh, I'm now a rhino, I've been told. What? Uh, <laughs> you know, when I was elected, unexpectedly, I was described as a... Uh, right-wing bomb-throwing nut job. Wow. And I don't know that I've changed that much, but now I'm a rhino, so... What, what makes you a rhino? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, having an opinion <laughs> and just uh, following along with uh, folks who... I'm not a sycophant, and I'm very very strong opinions. Uh, you know, I have an opinion on immigration that we need a guest worker program uh, where people come here and work temporarily, go home, send their money home, come back and forth. Uh, work jobs and go home, but that made me a open borders guy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, and I'm not a big fan of uh, of our president. Uh, I mean, I will tell you, he's done some very good things. Uh, appointments, uh, particularly several of his appointments, have been positive. And his greatest attribute is the fact that he's so inconsistent, unpredictable, and without any philosophical basis that you never know what he's going to do. And if you're strategizing in the Kremlin or in Pyongyang or some other, you know, enemy capital, you're probably sitting there going, we have no idea what to figure how to figure out this guy. So so that's actually one of his liabilities is an asset. But I think he's dumber than a doorknob. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not going to change that opinion. So I don't know that I can win a primary if I don't like the president. <laughs> and then what's your prediction on concealed carry? Uh, con- I'm sorry, constitutional carry. 
in Texas? Well, I'll just tell you, I, I think uh, I support constitutional carry as long as it's open carry. I do not support uh, concealed constitutional carry. Um, I think if they would uh, make the bill, uh, I think you'll have a lot better chance of passing it if it's constitutional open carry. Uh, but concealed carry, yeah, I'm not a fan of that, uh, you know. Um, shall not infringe. I understand that uh, in the Second Amendment, but infringement, there is no right that is absolute. There is no First, Second, Fourth, Fifth Amendment right that is absolute. And I personally believe that uh, unlicensed concealed carry is not a, uh, not a good thing. Now, with uh, Game of Thrones, it's going to be tonight. It's the, the season finale. Are you a fan of Game of Thrones? Have you watched it at all? No, never watched it. Uh, I mostly watch the news and history channels, or the American Heroes channel, as it's called now. Well, what's your What's your thought on the uh, the knife law that's going to go into effect September the first? I think it's great. I think it's great. <laughs> it makes me laugh because you know when I was a uh, when I was in the I was an Aggie Corps cadet. I didn't know I was a, a felony, uh, you know, unlawful uh, weapon carrier because you know the Corps cadets carry sabers. You'll see all kinds of swords uh, you know if you look at the penal code there's a lot of interesting things in there and i think they're still in there i mean it's, it was unlawful to carry a poignard p-o-i-n-i-i-r-d and i don't know what a poignard is but our founders <laughs> thought it was threatening enough to actually put it in the penal code there's a long list of things that are unlawful or, or um, you know un, un, unlawful weapons to possess and or carry um, and I, I think it's great. <laughs> I'm not worried about somebody with a knife. I'm just really not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. I tell you what. Thank you, Jerry. I really appreciate you coming on today and and giving us your your take on you know this statue business because that was something that was just you know just crazy on online and it's it's crazy you know sitting here watching. You, you post something on Facebook, you ask a question, and then some of the responses that you get, you know, people oh, yeah. just don't use their head sometimes. One one last moment, bit of advice. 50% of what you see on Facebook, no matter how it's dressed up as breaking news, is absolute bull, bull. It's just, it's BS. Don't believe it, and you're, you're gullible as hell. You're criminally gullible if you believe stuff on Facebook. Absolutely. I tell you what, thank you, sir, and you be safe okay. out there. All right, you too. Thanks. All right. And let me go back to Edwin Walker, the principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shill. Uh, Edwin, you know, so... Friday, September the 1st, we're going to have some changes in the Texas law. Uh, the knife bill, you know, goes into effect. Our knife laws change in Texas. Uh, that's correct. And, um, you know, and, and the Texas knife law is fairly archaic. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I know why they, I know why the legislature um, originally passed the switchblade law. And they even admit it whenever they, were, whenever they repealed the switchblade law uh, four years ago. Uh, they actually said in there, in their in their bill analysis, they said that this law was put in place because of hysteria over uh, violent youth gangs of the 1950s. And so the switchblade law went into effect because of that, because, you know, the legislature believed that everybody was a potential member of the Jets or the Sharks. <laughs> and so that's why they made the switchblade law. But uh, it's interesting, you know, um, uh, Mr. Patterson pointed out uh, that, you know that that the the statute does contain some very descriptive words, some of which or many of which people don't know what they are. Uh, dirks, stilettos, pointyards. Um, those you know those are kind of archaic terms. Uh, nobody really knows what they are. In fact, 
you know, the the law. What we always tell people what the law was, um, you know, what it what it is currently, what it will be for the next five days, uh, is that a double edged blade was illegal. The re- it doesn't say double edged blade. It doesn't say in there a uh, blade with two edges is illegal. Uh, but what it does say is that a dagger is illegal. And so the courts interpreted dagger to mean a knife with a double-edged blade. And so that's how double-edged blades became uh, specifically uh, specifically prohibited because of the word dagger in there. And, um, you know, they are kind of archaic terms. In fact, uh, whenever the switchblade law was actually, you know, whenever it was altered, the word, the fact that the word stiletto was in the knife law said you couldn't carry a stiletto. Well, a stiletto is a name brand. A stiletto is a, is a name brand of a knife, and it is that switchblade that people kind of visualize whenever they think of switchblades from the 1950s. You know, the the kind with the the you know the kind of the, with the two little hooks on each end, and and you know the kind that you would see. You know, yeah, you would see some street you know hood with the 1950s at. That's actually a stiletto. That's the name brand of that style of knife is stiletto. So, you know, I, I was I was kind of wondering if anybody was going to be charged with, even though you know switchblades now legal ever since 2013, stilettos still illegal. Uh, whether or not you know a prosecutor would actually you know bring in a picture of a stiletto and say, ah, you know he was carrying a stiletto, even though that particular type of switchblade is only single edge, not otherwise illegal except for the fact that it is specifically called a stiletto. Do you know what so, do, do you know what a trench knife is? Uh yeah, trench knife um and that is still illegal. Um and that would be a, that still would be illegal on September the 1st. Uh, correct, because a trench knife uh as I understand it, now of course everybody's got I think everybody's got their own interpretation, but uh I consider myself a better than amateur historian, a World War One historian. It's always been a particular fascination of mine. And a trench knife, uh traditionally is a knife that was developed by the military which uh contains a you know very long blade, but uh the handle, uh, the gauntlet is not just a handle, but it's also got an integrated uh brass knuckle to it. Correct. And so it would be the brass knuckle part that is still prohibited. Uh, so you could not carry a trench knife because of that part. And the brass knuckle thing is very interesting because with the elimination of illegal knives, uh, brass knuckles, uh, brass knuckles and caltrops uh, are really the only two type of non-firearm weapons that are still absolutely prohibited under Texas law. So get caught with a brass knuckle, get caught with a caltrop, you know, you're committing a crime under Texas Penal Code 4605. And those are really the only two non-firearm prohibited weapons left. Okay. Now, what are some of the other changes in the Texas law? Well, uh, like I said, the knife law is fascinating. Um, Just to explain it a little further, uh, they have removed illegal knives. No longer are we going to use the word illegal knife, which technically didn't mean that they were illegal. They were just illegal to carry. Uh, They were not specifically prohibited because everybody's kitchen is filled with illegal knives. Uh, just meant that you cannot carry them. They were illegal to carry, not illegal to possess on your own property. Okay. Um, so we're getting rid of that term. So, and and I'm really glad because now I don't have to explain it anymore, except in a historical context. <laughs> uh, so now, instead of being an illegal knife, it is a location restricted knife, uh, and the only type of location restricted knife is one that has a blade over five and a half inches. 
So we don't have to worry about double blade anymore. We don't have to worry about automatic. We don't have to worry about switch blade. We don't have to worry about throwing knives, buoy knives, any of those little nuances. All we have to focus in on, does this knife have a blade longer than five and a half inches? If so, cannot carry it into specific locations. We may say, what are those locations? Well, if you're a license holder, if you are an LTC holder, you should know what those locations already are because they're all the locations that are listed as being off limits to firearms under 46.03 and 46.035. Okay, so, good. That makes it a lot easier. So Yeah, so you can carry them in public. You can carry them around. Uh, now, also, I have to tell folks that private property owners still maintain the ability to exclude people who are carrying uh, knives. You know, if they, so if they don't want you taking a sword or a spear into their building, they can still do that. And uh, there is no, um, you know, there's no particularized criminal trespass warning to do that. So there's no 30 out six sign for knives. There's no 30 out seven sign for knives. So if somebody just puts a sticker on their door, no knives, no swords, no spears, you know, whatever it may be, that will be good criminal trespass notice. Okay. That makes it, that, hey, that makes it a lot easier. And then we also we come back, restrictive locations. Okay. So people should understand that 4603, 46035 breaks down the restrictive locations. All right. So hold on that, Edwin. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Come on, I can drive a tank through that gap. Put your foot on the gas and move it. Beat the commute with time saver traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're on the phone with Texas and U.S. Law Shill principal attorney Edwin Walker. Uh, Edwin, got a question for you. So sure. the ghost gunner, uh, when it comes to the ghost gunner, I don't know if you uh -huh. had a chance to take a look at this at all. Um, have you, have you, have you heard, you've heard the ghost gunner, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, when it comes to that, can people actually have like a little party or something like that and, and, you know, and, and just invite people over and, and, and turn an 80% lure into a 100% lure? Well, that's kind of an and that's kind of uncharted territory. Now, certainly the ATF is not going to like that. But the thing that's illegal is you cannot produce a gun and put it into the stream of commerce. So, an individual could not do that. And so, then you sort of get to the you know uh, the transitive property of the machine of the the 3D printer of the of the box that actually makes the gun. Is it then illegal to give a to to loan a device? Um, for the purposes of individuals creating their own uh, firearm out of an 80% lower, and that's kind of a you know that's kind of an unanswerable question at this point. I'm sure the ATF would like to say yes, yes, they cannot do that, but of course anything that the ATF says is purely an opinion at this point, and until there's an actual prosecution under a U.S. code provision. Uh, then you're really not going to get an answer, at least a definitive answer to that question. Aha. So what I'm hearing you say is, unless you want to be the test case, go ahead and do it. That's correct. <laughs> unless you want to, now, I don't want to discourage. If people want to do this, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be accused of, you know, like a, like a former, you know, like like Jerry, Mr. Jerry Patterson there of being a rhino. I don't want to accuse <laughs> of not supporting the Second Amendment. <laughs> 
Um, so I'm not, but I'm not going to say that absolutely you can positively go do that, you know, throw your party. Um, so I'm not trying to discourage it. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm saying that there's just, know, there's, there's no, we, 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 there's just no precedence for it at all. Correct. You are now in the vanguard of, uh, of deciding what provisions of the U S code may or may not apply to the ghost gunner. So I can tell you what's definitely prohibited. Uh, using your ghost gunner machine to create uh, firearms that you then put into the stream of commerce, that's definitely prohibited. Um, simply allowing people to use your machine to create their own 80 per, uh, their own uh, firearm from an 80% lower, mm, you know, it may not be. But then again, you never know whenever there's going to be. I certainly wouldn't try it in California. Uh, you know, I can guarantee the U.S. attorney office there would be overly aggressive in pursuing that but here in texas maybe not uh because keep in mind there are um you know just like you know just like different counties are subject to the the whims of their individual elected district attorneys uh you know each district of a u.s state is uh under the you know under the purview of a particular u.s attorney who's appointed um you know who's appointed by the president and a lot of them have different values and different uh, ideas on what is a legitimate prosecution depending upon the district that they are in okay and then now what are some of the other you know updates changes that are going to go into effect september the first from the texas legislature well you know that's a great question because we are you know and we we still are in a situation where uh all the laws seem to be pro-gun laws and expanding freedom not constricting freedom so there is no activity that anybody is going to engage in on September 1st that will get them in trouble with a new law. All the laws that affect gun owners or uh, people who like arms, uh, all the laws were laws that expanded rights, not constricted them. And so, you know, and so that's a great benefit. Uh, other than the knife law, one of the ones that everybody seems to be interested in is the law that not only says, hey, if the Congress gets around to passing the Hearing Protection Act, uh, silencers are no longer going to be prohibited weapons under our statute, Texas Penal Code 4605, either. And not only does that include silencers, but it also includes uh, uh, firearms that are not officially described by the ATF as being short-barreled firearms like the Mossberg Shockwave. So it will now, uh, as of September 1st, the question about the Mossberg shockwave, is it legal under Texas law? Is it illegal under Texas law? Uh, that question will be resolved in the positive uh, that it is not illegal under Texas law because the ATF has determined that it is a firearm, not a short-barreled shotgun. And I don't, I don't know if people know this, you know, Texas law shield uh, was very instrumental in actually getting that done by writing, you know, the little – phrase or you know for the statue to get that change and i want to thank edwin you know for actually participating with that and being at the capitol and actually you know talking to the the reps on getting that change and why that's important you know especially for texas you know this gun is made in texas and you mean to tell me we can't own it in texas so we had to change that immediately so thank you well, texas thank law you. show I Thanks. I appreciate you. Know, we, we all appreciate your praise, Michael. Uh, but we all know that you are the real mover and shaker behind this. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. Not at all. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much, Texas Law Show. All right. So, uh, so Edwin, so now September the 1st, you know, we can have a shockwave. Uh, um, and you're saying that if the federal law changes where 
you know, you can actually, you know, you don't have to go through the NFA process to get a suppressor, then how does that affect the gun dealers, the gun stores? Well, it will uh, treat the uh, suppressors just like any other firearm. Uh, so it will eliminate them having to have their special uh, their special SOT tax, uh, and so now a dealer will not have to be specifically licensed to sell Class Three firearms like they do now with regard to silencers. They will just be able to sell silencers as a as a firearm, just like you could go buy any other uh, what we call Gun Control Act firearm or GCA firearm. Okay. Um, so it should expand the market. Uh, it will make thing you know make them easier to possess because now all you have to do is worry about paying the purchase price and the uh, sales tax. You won't have to worry about the special two hundred dollar NFA tax anymore. You won't have to wait for them to approve your paperwork to come back. You just go in and say, "Hey, I think that I want to buy a suppressor for my two two three today," and just go down and purchase it at any you know at your just normal mom and pop. Uh, gun store, just like uh, Central Texas Gunworks. All right, and then um, also uh, the thing that came out, I guess, a week or so ago is that you know silencer shops using a little barcode, and they've been using that barcode, you know, since last year, at least as long as I can remember. Um, silencer shop has been using a barcode that's on the Form Four or their Form Ones uh, to get them submitted to the ATF. Well, now the ATF is actually using that. They're actually scanning that barcode thanks to Silencer Shop so that, you know, until the suppressors are removed from the NFA list um, with the barcode, it actually helps the ATF process the applications a lot faster and get the tax stamp out there. Did you hear that? Yeah, the electronic processing of the forms does help, you know, it it does help the process. but you know, with the with the Hearing Protection Act, uh, there will be no process. Correct. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So between now and then, so that's a that's a good thing. And hopefully, uh, this legislative se- well, hopefully our Congress you know, in D.C. will act on this and actually get this done before the next mm-hmm. midterm elections. Yeah, and with regard, uh, just to sort of wrap up uh, the legislative changes, is that with regard to licensing, the the licensing process, the process of getting a Texas license to carry. Um, you know, on Friday, the fee will drop to $40. Uh, also, whenever you take the class in person, there is no longer a caliber requirement for the uh, range portion of the exam. So hopefully that will open it up to uh, folks who may um, not have the strength or the dexterity to operate a larger handgun, and it will allow them to qualify with uh, any type of firearm, 22, 25 caliber uh, whatever's easiest for them to handle, they will now be able to use that to qualify with. So, um, you know, so with regard to the removal of a of a minimum caliber, uh, with the lowering of the fee, I think that that's going to expand the pool of people who now um, will be, you know, will be looking into getting their license to carry. Yeah, I know a lot of people are excited about using a twenty two or you know, whatever, exactly what you said, any caliber to actually pass. So hopefully they will definitely. Yeah, because, and I I can kind of speak from experience with this. I mean, my aunt, um, she was going to get her license to carry, uh, and she had bought a handgun that she thought she could handle. It was just a little Taurus Millennium, uh, nine millimeter, but you know, she she had uh, arthritis in her hand and it made her difficult for her just simply to rack the slide. 
so now, you know, with a with a twenty two caliber, uh, she should be able to qualify with that, and she can. You know, there's no reason that just because she is an elderly woman who has a touch of the arthritis in her hands, you know, why should she then thereby be uh, allowed to, to go unprotected in public? She should have the right to protect herself just like any of us should. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the legislature did this because, just like you said, for seniors, uh, as we get older, you know, it's going to happen to us. And hopefully down the road, maybe next session, uh, maybe we'll do something about the, you know, being able to open carry the handgun and, and the holster and all that bit because it, it really is, it, it doesn't, you know, what about the ladies and how they want to carry? What if a lady wants to open carry her handgun and put the handgun in, in a bra holster in the open? You know, so, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard. And, you know, but there's some, you know, talk about that in the Texas handgun license uh, course about that stuff. Yeah, the holster issue should have been resolved. That, that, that was so – that issue was so um, – it was so upfront, and it seemed like such uh, something that everybody could agree on. I'm really, really surprised and disappointed that it wasn't addressed, uh, that they just simply did not remove the words uh, belt or shoulder from the holster requirement. Right. Now, if you want to have a holster requirement, understand, uh, you know, understand the, the theory behind having the holster requirement. But, you know, why put that, you know, why just, just arbitrarily interject that, that little point of vagueness about, you know, what is a belt or shoulder holster into the whole thing? Just leave it as a holster. Just say holster. But right. how hard could that be? Right. So. And I tell you, and, and so, any other updates for the, this session? Um, well, one of the more interesting things is, is that uh, some of your listeners may know this, some may not. Uh, but for about the last 10 years, there's been a growing controversy with regard to churches and whether or not a church volunteer security team had to be licensed as either individual, each individual being licensed as a security guard or the team as a whole being licensed as a security company. And it stems from an FAQ that the DPS put on their website because DPS is in charge of the administrative agency in charge of licensing security guards and security companies. And 10 years ago, they put an answer to an FAQ on their website that said, uh, well, church security team, it looks like it's governed under the Texas Occupations Code, which would, of course, mean that, yeah, if you're a member of a church security, then you do have to be licensed to be a security guard or work for a security company. And uh, this caused a great amount of consternation among churches, and I had no idea that it had gotten to the point where it actually had gotten the attention of the legislature, but it did. And, of course, in the 10 years, I am totally unaware of any church security volunteer or church themselves ever being prosecuted for violating the Texas Occupations Code. I am unaware of any of that ever happening but there were churches out there that were terrified that they were, and so it got changed. And so now, as long as an individual working for a church volunteer uh, security team uh, is a volunteer, which means they receive no compensation for their participation, and as long as they do not wear a uniform that makes them appear to be a security guard or a police officer, uh, or the, and they don't use a badge that says the word security – so if they want to call themselves, you know, courtesy officers or courtesy volunteers or 
just staff or, or whatever whatever else they want to call themselves, just don't use the word security, uh, then they're A-OK. They do not have to have any sort of licensing um, under the Occupations Code. So no, they don't have to be level three security or level four, or they don't have to get a letter of authority, any of that stuff. Correct. And that particular statute does not address the issue of whether or not somebody working on a volunteer church security team, uh, if they are a licensed to carry holder, are they allowed to carry? And of course, this being a myth, which a lot of people seem to forget, a lot of people somehow fall into this idea that uh, you're allowed to do what the state says you can do. Uh, my response is, the last time I checked, this was America, and you're allowed <laughs> to do whatever you want until the state tells you you can't. Uh, since that was not addressed in the statute, a license holder uh, can carry their handgun with them while they're acting in their capacity as a volunteer church security member. Now, what about firefighters? Any changes in, with firefighters? Yes. With our, well, if they're volunteer firtighters, there's no another class. We're, lose, we're losing, you just, losing you just a little bit. Okay. Sorry about that. Yes, there's now another class of individuals who are allowed to carry their handgun, and that is a member of who a volunteer emergency service personnel who is a licensed to carry holder. They will now be able to, if they are on, you know, if they are in the the, if they are actively engaged in their duties as a volunteer emergency service personnel, they will be allowed to carry their handgun. Um, into places that were previously prohibited to them. So not the Houston Fire Department or Austin Fire Department and a regular regular employee? Right. They have to be a volunteer. Volunteer. Okay. And they don't have to have any special training or class or certification other than the LTC? Uh, that is correct. They do not. Now, there was a bill that said that they would have to have that, but that bill did not pass. The other one passed that says that they do not have to have any sort of Additional specialized training. Okay. Yeah, that was that was the question because someone was asking about that, about firefighters and if they needed special training or anything like that. Nothing outside of the LTC. And you have to be a volunteer, not a regular employee with the fire department. Correct. And that's yeah, and that's what and that I understand why that is confusing because there was a bill that almost made it that would have said that they had to undergo additional training. Uh, but that bill did not make it, and the one that said that you did not have to have additional training did. Okay. And then what are we forgetting, uh, Edwin? Well, oh, Edwin, are you familiar with Senate Bill 1942, which allows license holders to carry in their motor vehicle in the parking lot of schools? Oh, yeah, that's right, schools. Okay, yeah. That's, that's well, a big that one. one. That's a very, huge one. Very specific. Well, yes, it is. Is and that going into unique. effect on the first as well? Yes, it is unique in that um, it is unique in that it did not it did not amend the penal code, it did not amend the government code. It created a brand new section under the education code, and uh, what I would have thought they would have done was amend the labor code, which was uh, put in place back in 2011. The labor code provision that was called the employer parking lot bill. Correct. Uh, but the legislature chose not to do that. They chose to uh, go in and amend the education code to say that a school district could not prohibit an employee who was an LTC holder uh, from having a firearm, uh, from having a firearm 
uh, or ammunition as long as it is in their locked motor vehicle and it is not in plain view. And that's important, so, to, that's important to remember because it says firearm. It doesn't say handgun. Correct. It says firearm. Uh, and it's important to remember that it only applies to LTC holders. So now, as we all know, even people who are not LTC holders can lawfully have firearms and ammunition in their motor vehicle. However, what the legislature has done is that under the already existing labor code provision that says that school districts can have employment rules that prohibit uh, employees from possessing firearms on their property, that rule is still in effect. And so if a school district says employees who are not LTC holders, they cannot have guns in their cars on employee parking lots. However, they now cannot have a rule that affects LTC holders who are employees with uh, concealed guns in their car, which is another reason to say, hey, teachers, now you need now you have another reason to come get your LTC. Mm. OK. And what else are we what are we figuring, Zach? Anything else we're forgetting? Yeah, I think there was uh, some misunderstanding with this bill. People were thinking that it was only teachers that could carry in their vehicles, but that is not the case. It's, it's employee, anyone. Employees of the school. Uh, the way well, I read it, um, it's anyone with a license who are can in, carry. Well, who are yeah, employees that, yeah. of the school. Right, but that all, but but see that that already that rule already exists because all we're doing is we're saying they cannot have an employment rule because we already know they can't be prosecuted. So, for example, let's say that you had a teacher who had an LTC, or heck, even a teacher that didn't have an LTC, they come onto the school parking lot, they keep the gun in their car, they don't take it out of their car, it's perfectly lawful in the car. Under current law, they are not criminally liable. There's no provision of the penal code that says that they're criminally liable, but there could have been an employment policy which would affect their employment status. They could have been terminated. Disciplined, fired, exactly. So what that's now saying is that even your non-LTC holders who are employees or just visitors to school – Still not in criminal trouble. Obviously, a visitor is not subject to any employment rules at all. So whatever whatever the school district says regarding their own employees doesn't affect a visitor. Um, but now they can say, look, non-LTC employees, we're going to fire you. LTC employees, we can't do anything to you because of this new education code provision. Hmm. So go out and get your LTC if you're a school district employee. And now on that note... On September 1st, the fee to get your license in Texas is going to drop from $140 to $40, and that is September 1st. So, Edwin, do you think that if I get on the website at midnight, (laughs) September 1st, is that going to be changed in the Texas DPS website, or do you think there may be a delay? I will will never purport to speak for a bureaucracy. (laughs) That's a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, which is actually one of the things I thought for sure, uh, since you had Jerry Patterson on, I thought that was going to be your main question that you were going to ask him. And I thought you were going to say for sure. Now, Jerry, can you tell me why <laughs> it has taken the legislature 20 years mm. to figure out how much the DPS should be charging for an LTC? Yeah, I didn't want to put him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're the ones that made it uh, $140. Yeah, a long time ago, 1995. 
and it exactly. has and it didn't change. It has has not changed until it will change on Friday. We hope. Exactly. <laughs> if everything works right with the website. Yes. And are you? Uh, do you think that there might be this huge influx of people? that will be getting their license on that day and so that might bog down the process and make it even longer than it already is yeah i mean it's gonna it's gonna be the the wait time will be reflective of the amount of people who want to get the license i i think it is so, and here's why because look at what's happening right now we have a hurricane we have a uh, storms you, you're going to have a lot of flooding this week. People are going to be without power. Uh, they're going to want to have their handgun with them, and they're going to see the, the, the need the, the, you know, to actually be able to carry that handgun uh, with them while they're you know, trying to go from point A to point B. And have, so, yeah, I, absolutely. I can see it actually definitely being a backlog. Yeah, so hopefully they've added or they have, uh, they have um, redirected resources uh, to anticipate that uh, that surge in applications but again it's a bureaucracy so if i was a betting man i would say that they did not <laughs> well actually they did say during the uh, instructor renewal course that they're planning on it you know but you know what you know, we'll see yeah but you know michael they were just telling you what you wanted to hear <laughs> <laughs> i know i know yeah any and then we got like about 30 more seconds there uh, edwin anything else we're forgetting uh, no, that's about it. I'm just looking for. I'm looking very. I'm looking forward to Friday. Um, I'm gonna be decked out. I'm gonna have a samurai. I'm gonna have a bully knife. I'm gonna have my stiletto. I'm gonna be wearing them all three at one time, walking down the middle of the street. Now, can um, I can I go so, into uh, Austin City Hall? You yeah, you should be able to. I don't see why you. Well, well, you know, it's Austin City Hall, right? So you know, you have to deal with that, uh, but. Uh, you know, the thing about it is, is with the addition of Knights to the, uh, you know, to the Texas preemption law. And I got 15 I seconds. No. Edwin. 15 seconds. Edwin. I, would, I would say no, they can't because of the Texas preemption law. Okay. All right. Man, I tell you what. Thank you, Edwin uh, Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield Principal Attorney. Uh, you're always very insightful and in giving us all the information that we need and keeping us up to date. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure. All right. Be safe out there, sir. All right. And as always... More guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Keep up with the latest breaking news in Austin and around the world. Take a moment to make sure you're following us on Twitter at Talk1370. Let the tweeting begin. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk1370. The right choice. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 